0: Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today at Crosstown. Wow what an interesting week we had last weekend and all with the storm and um, you know it was really great not to uh, flood one out of you know yeah that was really awesome. <clears throat> you know it has flooded if you're new here it's flooded three times in the last three years every time a storm sneezes in Charleston we seem to flood. It's kind of a new thing. But, you know, as the storm was going through and I was watching it and then then it kind of looked like it wasn't coming and we weren't going to get wiped out, I, I really wrestled with the phrase that, well, we were blessed by God. You know, I, I really, I'm kind of a little bit of a philosopher and a little bit of a skeptic at, at times in my life and it was like, oh, wait a minute, so we were blessed and then The other people in Wilmington and the rest of the North Carolina, Upper South Carolina, you know, they weren't blessed by God, but we were blessed by God. And and so, you know, it kind of felt like I felt actually guilty about it. And so I was asking the Lord to kind of help me through it because I don't think the language is right. So um, I'm like, well, God, what is this about? And he was very clear to me. He's like, I'm no better because you didn't flood than when um, it did flood. It's kind of like in football. You'll see a guy catch an incredible pass, and they'll get a touchdown, slam the ball, and then they'll, like, you know, point up to heaven, kind of giving credit to God. Well, that's cool. Well, you never see anybody do that when they drop the ball. You don't see them like, oh, I suck really bad. Love you, Lord, you're awesome. You know? You never see them do that. But... um, but God was communicating to me and said, listen, I am good all the time. And um, when, you, when you went through adversity as a church, you were blessed in the adversity. And when you didn't go through the adversity, you were blessed. And so I kind of asked God, what do I do with this blessing? He goes, well, since, since you experienced no loss, then your gain should be their help. So think about how much money you saved and give that away. Find a church somewhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, and you contact them and tell them that we're going to come alongside. And So use your blessing in order to help them. That's how it all levels out and makes sense in our minds. So let me just encourage you. We're going to reach out, and we're going to start by writing a check for $2,500 and finding a church. We'll let you know what that church is. And you say, well, do you got the $2,500? Oh, yes, I do. I have it right here in the, with, the, with the people of God who, who are blessed. And if you said over this, that guy back there yelling hallelujah, if you, were, if you said you were blessed over the last week, because you missed the storm, then you have qualified yourself to be a part of a blessing for another another group of people. So that's the way the church handles blessings. So let me encourage you to be a part of it as we reach out and we help other churches uh, restore and get back on their feet again to be able to minister to their communities. Also, this coming Wednesday at 7 o'clock, if you're part of our covenant partners, those are people in our church that have said, listen, this is my home. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. We're having a meeting this coming Wednesday at 7. We'll have some worship, we'll have some dessert, but also talk about the future of the church, where we're going, and, and some of the things that, are, that we're facing in the coming year. So we invite you to be a part of that as well. Well, you know, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about getting closer to God. And in America, we think about focusing on success. We focus on catching that touchdown. We focus on prosperity in our lives. And those are all good things, and those aren't things that God is against. He he likes us being successful. He likes us experiencing prosperity in our lives. But what we're learning is that the path to success is not the pursuit of success. It is the pursuit of closeness with God, and that as we draw near to God, and he draws near to us, we begin to experience the success of God in our lives. We begin to experience prosperity. So as we're continuing to move forward, one of the most important places where we need to experience the closeness of God is in our families. It's in our homes. It's in our church. It's in our community. And how we do that and how we communicate that, not only for ourselves and God, but how we communicate that to our children, to our youth, and to the people around it. So as Brian's coming to share with us some insights on that, just keep your heart open to what God wants to do in your life today.
1: All right. Good morning. I'm really excited to see all you here this morning. Um, If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, or if this is your first time here, my name is Brian, and I'm the youth pastor here at Crosstown, and I've been doing this here for five years now. Um, And so, like Pastor Paul said, we are on this whole series with closer and drawing closer to God and how we do that and what it's all about. And um, just as the psalmist says in chapter 1, verse 2, that uh, they delight in the law of the Lord, and that's where the success comes from, is in that delight, actually delighting in what the law of the Lord has for us. So um, so as the youth pastor, what obviously what I want to talk about is youth. That's what I'm going to get into. Um, so children and things like that. Um, who doesn't want their child to draw closer to God with them? As we're learning about drawing closer to God ourselves, Who doesn't want to bring their child with them on that journey, and actually experience delighting in the law of the Lord with them. You know, actually enjoying, I I don't just obey God because he said so, I, I obey God because he loves me, and I love him back. I actually delight in that kind of thing. So God wants us to draw our kids closer to God, too. Proverbs 22, 6 says, direct your children on the right path, and when they're older, they won't leave it. Deuteronomy 6-7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Ephesians 6-4, bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So clearly, God wants us to draw our children closer to God while we're doing that ourselves. So the question is then, how do we do that? How do we draw our children closer to God with us? How do we actually do that? So I'm going to talk about two very specific things here. Um, today, as we go through it. um, One is what you observe of your child, and then the other one is what they observe. So these two topics, they're very different, but we'll talk about both of them today. Um, First thing I want to get through, though, is who I'm talking to. Uh, A lot of you may have already assumed I'm talking to parents. Yeah, okay, that's a given. I am talking to parents today, Um, but if you're not a parent, or you don't have a dependent in your household or whatever it may be, uh, or you've, you're, you say, my child's grown and out of the house, they're doing their own adult things. Um, that's fine, don't tune me out just yet though, because uh, I, like myself, I have something to share with you on a you know, very important support role. Actually, you being here today just shows and proves that uh, you, can, you have the opportunity to play that support role in parents' lives. So don't tune me out if you don't have kids here. You, you'll you play a very important role just as much as the parents are. Um, so why am I qualified to speak with you on this topic? And that qualification, that question is very justified here because, like I said, I'm the youth pastor, but I don't have kids. So I know some of you may be saying, like, who are you to tell me how to raise my kids? Now, by no means am I, am I claiming that this is going to be some, like, definitive lesson on raising your children. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. That's not at all what I'm trying to get at, but I am trying to share with you my experiences and the support role that I've played for parents throughout these years. So qualification, my, a little bit about my background here. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home uh, where parenting was kind of absent um, I have an older brother, he's two and a half years older than myself, and a younger sister who is ten years younger than me. So there's a big age gap there. But I've gotten to witness um, my brother, for one, for instance, uh, he's turned his back to God, and uh, is very adamant about that, um, and that breaks my heart just thinking about it. But and then my little sister, I got to watch her grow up in a level three troubled troubled girls facility with barbed wire fences and such until. The grace of God had taken her from that and put her into the Rienzo household where she could heal. And so, you may think, like, well, you turned out fine. And just to be completely honest, no, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've I've worked through. God has the grace of God has fallen upon me as well, and it's worked me through lots and lots of things where the absence of parenting um, kind of dug its own little trench in my life. So. Um, I've, like I said, I've been a youth pastor here for five years. Uh, I started the middle school ministry here seven years ago. Uh, I've worked in Children's Church, volunteered there since 2010, and two years ago became the director of Children's Church. Um, so I'm, I'm well invested in this. This is, this is where God has placed delight in my heart, is with kids and drawing the kids closer to God. And so, you know, you can take that and just, I don't, I don't want any barriers of, you know, why should I listen to you on this topic because you aren't a parent yourself. So, so as I was studying up on this subject, because uh, parenting is such just, a you know, this huge, like, wide array of all kinds of topics, um, I, I was trying to narrow things down, and I was going through scripture and narrowing things down, and really what I'm talking about today I mean, this could just be split up on its own into two surfaces, but to be completely honest with you, I want to get it over with. So I'm getting all this information out as much as I can. So I ran into this verse, though, Psalm 127, 3 through 4. It really piqued my interest. Um, It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And every time I read that now, it reminds me of underwear because fruit of the loom but, and I'm sorry, I know that might mess up that verse for a lot of you guys now, but, because you'll think that too, it's stuck in my head, but like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. So, as I was reading that, clearly children are meant to be a reward to us, right? And I think a lot of you parents know that, it may be a struggle at some points in time where you feel like, you know, maybe they're not, and maybe they're a curse, but they're meant to be a reward for us. I mean, what beautiful Im- imagery that the psalmist uses here, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So the, the fruit is like, that's the sustenance that comes from the tree. That's why we like certain trees, is because they produce a fruit off of them, and that, that is the reward from that long growth of that tree. But what really piqued my interest is the second part of this verse, and it's like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And that kind of had me thinking, about arrows. Now, just, I, I'm i really into, like, physics and, like, how things work. Um, I've always been super interested in that kind of stuff. I just, I got to know how things operate. Things got to be logical. It all has to make sense. Um, I, my job right before this, uh, before I became youth pastor here, I, I did robotics engineering for a company, and so I, you know, I'm all into making things work, or understanding how things work and operate. So, when I read about arrows in the hand of a warrior, I, it had me thinking about arrows and how they fly through the air and what, like, how does that actually work. I know it's not just, you know, you pull back the string and let it go and it's going to hit what you're pointing it at. That can't be like, the only thing that works. There's so many, things, so many parts of an arrow, so many parts of the bow and all of those things. And it, had me, it reminded me of a YouTube guy that I watch um. He's, uh, his his name's Destin. He's from Smarter Every Day, and he uh, every day he tries to learn something new. And so I subscribe to his channel because like he puts all these really cool physics things up. He's always like new topics, learning something new every single day. So I love that stuff. And I watched a video from him about three years ago, where he did a study on something. He uses these like really fancy slow mo cameras, um, and he watched how an arrow, when it got shot from a bow, did a certain, like, it didn't do what we thought, like, in the movies, you know, when you see a movie where the arrow's, like, like that, and the camera's right behind, it's, like, flying straight through the air, and stuff, that's not what it did, so this thing called the archer's paradox is what he found um, through watching these slow-mo videos of arrows flying through the air, so I want you guys to, uh, To watch this video with me and learn a little bit about arrows before we move on, so check this out.
2: Hey, it's me Destin, welcome back to Smarter Every Day. So in one of the last episodes, I introduced you to a legend with a longbow. He's from my hometown and his name is Byron Ferguson. He shot an aspirin out of the air in slow motion. But there's something that happened in the arrow I didn't understand. It was deflecting, and this has something to do with what's called the archer's paradox. What do you think, Byron? Archer's paradox is the demon for all archers, but there are ways to work around it. Not bad. All right, so today on Smarter Every Day, we're gonna understand how an arrow deflects in what's called the archer's paradox. A paradox is a situation involving two things with a contradictory nature. So what is the archer's paradox? What are the two things that an archer has to deconflict? My friend John explained it to me like this. Let's pretend that this pecan tree is the bow and this is the line of our bowstring. If we take an arrow and we put it into our bow and we draw the bow back, and we're trying to hit that target over there, watch what happens. As we release the bowstring and it travels closer to the bow, look at that. The fact that the bow is sitting here in our way between us and the target causes the arrow to point off in a different direction. So how can we possibly hit that target when our arrow is pointed over there? This is the archer's paradox because we know they actually do hit targets like that. Here's how. They don't have a completely rigid arrow like that. They have a bendable arrow like this. See when it vibrates, you can see these nodal points? That's important. Check this out. As we put this real arrow into the bow here and we shoot, as we go towards the bow, the fact that we're accelerating this arrow causes it to build up strain energy causing this big curvature. That curvature then snaps back in the other direction once it bends to a certain point and look what we have. We have the arrow bending around the bow. When we release it does something cool. It snakes around the bow just like this and you're able to fly all the way to the target. The first thing that happens is the arrow bends from the pressure of the string and the front of the arrow being against the riser of the bow. As it leaves the bow, and it's already clear of the bow, it bends in the opposite direction. Isn't that interesting? But something else is going on here. Byron Ferguson is able to predict the wobbling of that arrow so good that he's able to hit an aspirin tablet with a vibrating arrow just like that. So one of two things is going on, either A, he knows some science that we don't, or B, He's a warlock, and this is all black magic. Okay, the stiffness of an arrow is called the spine, right? And so the spine is what, Byron? The stiffness of the arrow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is your uh, spine tester? This is the spine tester. It's set up right now to test the deflection of a carbon arrow. Okay. So we're actually have a two-pound weight, uh, and they are suspended at 26 inches. That's for carbon. Okay. And we'll read the inside of the scale here to see how much it deflects. So you you test all of your arrows before you shoot so that you can normalize the paradox. Correct. I want right. all the arrows to have the same stiffness. And that's how you're able to hit things like an aspirin. That's part of it. Yes. That's, pr- that's right. The part right. There's a little bit of skill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was really cool for me when I first, you know, watched that video, and then when I watched it again after I was studying this, that I was just like, the relation of an arrow to a child, not just the physics of what the arrow was doing and all that stuff, that's amazing in and of itself for me, but when I, when I put the relation of the arrow to the child, and that just blew my mind, so real quick, who's a, who's a parent in here, or who has a taxable dependent in their house? is okay you guys you are the warrior here today okay and then the rest of us including myself because I don't have kids we are what I'm going to call the tribe so we're your tribe here today we're here to support you you've got to have a got to have a clean bow you got to know what arrows you you got your arrows and you've got a quiver you got to make sure your quiver's ready to go we're here to help you know where your target is because like, if you're going to aim and point that arrow somewhere and you're going to push it forward, you better know what you're going to hit, like where, what direction you're pointing it at. We're here as a support role for that. So, the interesting part about this relation of the arrow to the child is I saw the arrow de- like bends and deflects so much. The more pressure that gets put on it, the more it deflects and the more that it bends. And so that's what kids do. When you're pushing them forward towards a target as we're trying to draw like lead them closer to God, as we're trying to push them forward and going in the direction that we're aiming them, just like the bowstring, it's going to deflect it's going to push them. They're going to bend. And that bend, what I what I saw there was the bend in that arrow is necessary for that arrow to operate as it was intended to operate, right? Otherwise it wouldn't get around the bow, just like he had explained. So that bend is necessary for a child to grow, too. That bend has to be there. It's built in. So you're, the child is going to try and explore what its limitations are, its boundaries. It's going to, your child's going to go one way or the other, but what you're trying to do with that arrow is know where the tip is headed, though. You have to know where that tip is headed. And just like Byron Ferguson did, he knew the precise location of where that tip was going to be, no matter what the deflection and the bend was going to be. I mean, it's going back and forth like that. And he still knows that it's going to hit something as narrow as an aspirin tablet. So how did he do that? He showed us, he uses, he tests the arrow. He tests the spine of the arrow. He's always, he's taking every single arrow and meticulously testing it and knowing how much it's going to bend, how much deflection there is in that arrow before he shoots it. Because if he doesn't know that, he doesn't know that he can hit a target this small. So that right there is intentional observation. It's not just observation. It's not just watching when you have the opportunity to watch, but intentional observation of our children, right? So we need to be intentional with observing what's going on with our kids. When's the last time you got into what they were into? When's the last time You decided you would go up into their room and uh, talk with them and ask them what's going on, hanging out with them. When's the last time you took, if you have multiple kids here, when's the last time you took just one of them out? Family time is super important, don't get me wrong. But family time isn't enough. When's the last time you were intentional with one of them at a time? Very intentional. Taking one out shopping while the rest of them, you know, hang out, get a babysitter. And that's, that's one of the things, too, for all of you support tribe people and stuff. I, my wife is totally on board with this. We just did it recently for somebody. If, if you have a problem getting a babysitter, we're your tribe. We're here for you. Like, we'll, we'll hang out with your kids. Like, let us hang out with them, and then you can be intentional with one of them and have that opportunity and have that time to do that. Being intentional with our kids like that. Uh, who in here is, like, into that Enneagram thing that's, like, blowing up right now. It's like, you can give a shout out to my wife. If, if you're on Facebook, you've heard it from my wife, probably. Um, she's like super into it right now, and it's kind of scary how accurate uh, the Enneagram thing is, but it's one of those personality tests. Um, we've been giving it to our youth, actually, to see what, you know, they'll take the test, and it'll give us basically a description on their personality and like what they're into, um, how do you talk to this number person, or how do, how do they interact with this numbered person, and it's, it's kind of scary how accurate it is. Um, that's being intentional, though. That's intentional observation, that kind of thing, as an example. Um, discipline. Discipline is an example of intentional observation here. Uh, discipline is necessary, and it's biblical. We know that, but discipline is not the same for every child. It's not the same. You can't use the same method for every, every child. It doesn't work that way. You have to intentionally observe what works with each child. So, for instance, w- when I was growing up, uh, my older brother and myself, you know, we kind of got whipped till the sun went down when we messed up, and okay, you know, that, that really, that worked for my brother, kind of. He, you know, he responded to that. He didn't want to get whipped, um, but for myself, <laughs> like, I mean, I remember this day very clearly, but the day that I told my dad when I was 14 that I, while he was giving me a spanking because I messed up, I, uh, I told him, I was like, you know this doesn't work, right? And I laughed in his face, and <laughs> boy, I messed up <laughs> right there. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's just one of those things. It didn't work. And then my little sister comes along 10 years later, I mean, and he said, it worked for you guys, it worked for her. No, that's not how that works. That's not at all how it works. So intentional observation of that. We have a, I just want to tell you about one of our youth that I've had the opportunity to watch grow up. I had him in children's church when I first started, and he's grown up. He's about to graduate this year, and I like, uh, getting to see that is amazing, getting to see them go through this whole transformation, this whole journey. But I've also gotten to watch the parental side of this journey, right? So I've gotten to see the intentional observation that his parents were making, and he's an amazing young man today. I love, I love it. It's, it's so awesome, but they have other kids too, and this young man, you couldn't, you couldn't ground him enough. You couldn't take his electronics away enough. You couldn't take his books away enough. You couldn't keep him inside the house enough to get him to, you know, stop doing what he was doing kind of thing, but what you could do for him, and they found this out, was he loved coming to youth group. As a youth pastor, I say, don't do this, but they said, hey, you're going to miss this Sunday's youth. Sorry, you messed up. You're staying home today, and I'm like, oh man, I'm glad you didn't get that advice from me, because I would have told you no, but they knew their child. They were super intentional in observing and noticing this is not working, but this does, so I got to do this. And then with one of their other ones, you give him a stern look, and he's like, my bad, I quit, all right, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's intentional observation. You don't have to do the same things with one that you do with the other. So let me just say this real quick. Um, Facebook is not your tribe for intentional observation. Facebook, that's, you're not asking your tribe for help. Here, we, I mean, we have several programs, children's church, middle school, youth, we've got our nursery and all that. We have you know, relatively same workers working throughout the day. We're real intentional on observing and listening to the stories that these kids tell us. We're intentionally observing as much as we can because you're not in there at the moment, and that's okay. That's good. We have more information now. We have more intentional observation information about your child. So, Those people on Facebook that you're asking a random question, they've all got a different answer for you. And why is that? Because none of them have intentionally observed your child like your tribe has. So professional help is different. I totally understand that. But what do they do? I I need to sit down and talk with them. And you need to keep bringing them back week to week. They want to intentionally observe them so that they can give you advice. You can't just ask random people questions find your tribe. Get the support there. So, I'm going to move into now the next topic, moving right along into what they observe. And as just a quick age disclaimer, as they're growing when when they're real young, I mean they're they're trying to figure out how their body just functions really, you know, they've got arms and legs that they don't know how they work and stuff. So their world is constantly expanding and what they're observing in their world is constantly expanding. The level of, the, of observance grows as they grow. They start to realize that there's more than just one house on the street and that my, my family lives in this one and that my friend's family lives in this house down the street. And things, things just start being absorbed. All this observance information starts being absorbed more and more as they grow. So each of these topics that we're going to talk about here with their observation is going to get more particular as they get older. So keep that in mind. But as you're trying to draw them closer to God, they're going to get most of their usable information from you and your faith journey, your closeness with God. So you have to show them that they want what you've got. You got to show them that they want to draw closer to God with you. So first thing, believability. Is your closeness with God believable? Is your closeness with God shown at the ready enough that a child can believe it and grow with it? It's not just verbal communication here. It's showing them this believability. You can tell them all day and night that they want to draw closer to God and that they want your faith. That's not going to do it. It's not going to cut it. You have to show them what this faith is like. You may tell them, like, they have to play nice at home or at church or wherever, but are you showing them? Mommy, are you being disrespectful to Daddy? Daddy, are you being mean to Mommy? And Are they seeing that stuff? Are you asking them to serve and be generous wherever they're at, like at church or at home, and, but yet you don't serve at your church or in a community where they can actually observe you and see what service really looks like? Do they know, do they know that you spend time with God? Here's a big one. Um, Time with God is meant to be private, but it was never meant to be secret, especially with your children. They should know that you're into it. They should know that you spend time with God. They should know that you take the time out of your day to go do this for a moment. So it's not meant to be secret to them. How do they see you deal with conflict? Is your conflict Resolution believable for your faith. When things don't go your way, are you able to show them that God's love is still for you and that it's also for them and that they can experience it when they receive conflict? When they mess up, because this is going to happen, it happens all the time. When they mess up, are you quick to dole out punishment but not as equally quick to dole out forgiveness to them? That's, one of, that's a big thing. There needs to be balance in that. The believability is in that balance. And they see you seeking God's wisdom when times get tough, when things get hard. Are you going to seek God's wisdom? Is it believable? So next one, reliability. So you got believability, and now you got reliability. Does your closeness with God come with you wherever you're at? It has to be reliable. Moses commands Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So there's your commands. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates, it can't just be a Sunday morning thing, or a Wednesday night thing, or a church thing. This closeness with God isn't reliable if it's just a church thing. It's something that they only see in you when you come here to this building, or when you go to a church somewhere, or when you're with, just with believers. It has to be reliable wherever you're at. What happens when you're in traffic? You got your kid in the back seat, yeah, it gets tough sometimes. You got to watch what happens. As they grow older and older, they're going to see more and more of how you respond to driving as they get closer to that age of driving. And they're going to they're gonna repeat what you're doing because they've observed, that's how I operate. That's how, this, that's how this works. I grit my teeth at people when, when an aggressive driver cuts me off or whatever. And I apologize because I am that driver. I'll get better when I have a child myself, but your faith can't just be a Sunday morning thing. It has to go with you. The grocery store, the sports that we watch on TV or at a sports game. I know we've got a lot of passionate sports people here, a lot of passionate sports, moms and dads, and uh, what, what do they see you do? You want to bring them into that realm because you want them to cheer for your team too. Passion's all great. That's all good stuff. What happens when your teammate drops the ball? though, and you get, you get upset. What, what do you say? What do they see you do? You throwing things? You cursing out that team, that player, calling them bozo or other terms? I mean, <laughs> nobody uses bozo. That's, <laughs> there's a community that says that. I shouldn't use it. Um, so what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And then they go to school and they're playing dodgeball or whatever they're doing, or basketball, and one of their teammates messes up. What are they going to do? But yet you tell them, no, you can't call him a name and get angry with him and do it like that. But you did it at home. That's what he saw you do when you were watching sports. So that's, it's got to be reliable so that they can take it with them wherever they go. So it's reliable there. Your faith can't be something that changes just because your environment changes. It's gotta, that's got to be reliable. Last one, sustainability. So, believability, reliability, and sustainability. Do you have a plan, and can they replicate it? Can they replicate what you're showing them? Paul and I were talking a few weeks ago, actually, and uh, he shared with me a thought on this word that he had, and the word was manifesto. So, manifesto is, by definition, it is a Public declaration of policy and aims. So, this one unfortunately falls real heavy on the dads in here. Um, A manifesto, so or or head of household, I should say. A manifesto. Do you have a public declaration of policy and aims for your house? Do you have your house in order? Are your policies that you've got set, set biblical? we, We all set policies. Let me just be clear with that. We all set policies all the time. But are they biblical policies? Are you, dad, are you the breadwinner? And that's your role. And you come home and mommy has to pick up all the crumbs around the house. Mommy has to spend time with the kids and I'm too tired. I can't, you know, I worked all day. I earned the cash so that you can do what you do with our kids. Now, this can obviously be flip-flopped, but is mommy the only one who's really interested in being here today at church? You know? Who's got the fire to come to church? Do they see that? Do they see that it's it's there for both of you guys? What's the policy? Do you have a policy of love in your household? Do you have a policy of patience? You have a policy of presence. This one's a real big one. And for myself, huge. I experienced the absence of my dad being around. My dad, he uh, retired from the military after 21 years, so he spent a lot of time in the military. But while he was in the military, he was, uh, he was also a manager at Publix. He was a grocery manager there. So what, what the day looked like for him was he would wake up at 5.30 in the morning, strap his boots on, get his uniform on, and uh, say bye at six o'clock, you know, to whatever kids awake at six that you could say bye to. And then he would come home around 4.30, maybe five, and uh, spend about an hour napping usually, and understandably so. He would uh, have to be at work at six at Publix, and then he wouldn't get home until midnight, one o'clock usually. So, uh, and then he'd wake up the next day and do it all over again. Dad wasn't home. My dad just—he wasn't there. And when he was there, the only time I saw him was because, you know, either I screwed up, my brother screwed up, or my little sister screwed up. And uh, so my presence that I remember of my dad was discipline. That's all it was. That's all I remember. Presence is huge. Presence is so huge. They're gonna remember that. They're gonna remember you being around. Do you have a policy of kindness in your household? Do you have a policy of forgiveness for mess-ups? When they do mess up, is that forgiveness there? You know, and do they know that it's going to be there? So do your kids, this is, um, this is important, do your kids know the policy of the household? Like, do they know what you've got set up, where you're aiming them? Do they know it? We, have, um, we had a youth leader here before, and this is kind of a funny story, but... Um, We do these things called lock ins, and all it is is we spend a whole lot of time and energy one night uh, doing lessons and games and food, like junk food and stuff, with the kids hanging out overnight. And our kids love it. I mean, it's so much, it is a ton of fun. But um, we decided to have one uh, lock in at Pastor Paul's house, and that's our first mistake right there. We did it in his backyard. Um, Boys went camping, girls did girl things inside the house and hung out there. Um, But I had one youth leader. Was there with me, and we kind of like take turns and like rotate recovering energy because you have to do that throughout the night. And so I went to take a quick like 15-minute nap around like one o'clock in the morning, and uh, the other youth leader was sitting out there around the campfire, hanging out with the kids. And uh, you know what really happened was uh, that we had a new kid there. And I woke up to our youth leader, and this is this is a legendary story for most of our youth know exactly what I'm talking about, um, but. I woke up to, mind you, I'm in the tent. I woke up to, we don't do that here, like shouting at a kid. And I'm like, oh no, what's happening? I got to get out of here. I got to get, I got to see what's happening and stuff. And I'm stuck in the tent because I couldn't couldn't get the zipper open. But when I finally did get out, I get out and I see that he's he's handling the situation. This kid, he didn't know our policies yet. He didn't know what our manifesto was. There, he was new, and that's okay, but he was bullying one of our other kids, and Scott added a policy, a very well-known policy, to our manifesto that night. Hey, we don't do that here. And now, the funny thing is, is all of our kids know that policy at youth, and when one of our youth is kind of like doing something that we don't do, you'll hear one of the youth say, Hey, we don't do that here, (laughs) like in the most dramatic voice ever. And it's great because they know, they know our policies. They know that that's a part of our manifesto. Here, my house, in my youth group, that's a part of my manifesto. It's a part of the policies. And that youth leader added it that night. It was great. So do your kids know your policies in your household? Do they know it? And when I say sustainability... By sustainable, I don't mean, can you sustain the image of perfect faith and closeness with God and sustain those policies and aims 24-7? I'm Obviously, I'm not asking you to do that. We know we're all going to mess up and kind of have our own little bends to it. But I mean, are you showing them that it's something that they can accomplish? Is it sustainable? Is this some, are the policies something that they can accomplish and be a part of? The kids, they'll observe far more than they'll listen to. And you got to show them that we have policies and they are, you are capable of achieving these policies. They're for you. So, believability, reliability, and sustainability, those are what our kids are going to observe from us. And like I said, this isn't definitive or anything like that, but these are some things to keep in mind, some things to really hold on to and remember as you're going out throughout the, your day um, and your, chil- your children are around you. And like I was saying, if you're, if you're part of the tribe, they're watching you too. So these things are important. You have to work extra hard to be involved as a tribe member. We want to be involved and intentionally observe and be a part of that observing process or being observed process. So, so as we close out for expressions here, um, expressions is a time where we, we take a moment to, you know, we have our pastors in the back over here, who, they'll be around the room, essentially, and, uh, you can pray with them and ask them if maybe something piqued your interest here today. Um, you can ask for prayer, uh, they'll pray with you, and they'll, they'll help you in that, and then, uh, or maybe God put something, you know, some word in you, and you kind of just want to show that you want to delight in his law of the Lord. You can come to the cross over here and write it out, pin it up to the cross. Or maybe you just want to come to the table of Christ and just feel that, that knowing that you're a warrior here, you've got your arrow, or you're a tribe member here, and the arrows are all around you, and you have the opportunity to be a part of testing the spine and understanding people's kids and drawing them closer as the next generation that's gonna fill these seats in here, we're all a part of it. It's all, it's important for all of us here. Maybe, maybe you haven't been, or you're, you're about to take that step into this drawing closer to God for the first time, though maybe you're not at that point, but you're getting, you're getting to take that first step. I just pray that you'll take that and you think, well, I haven't, my child's growing up and I haven't started this stuff, this is so late. It's like, no, it's, the good thing about it is if you haven't taken that first step yet and drawing them closer to God because you haven't drawn yourself closer to God yet, you're about to take that step. Once you take that step, you're now ahead of them and you're in that position to lead them. You're already there in that position to lead them. So I encourage you to take that step if you're gonna, if you got that feel, that call in you. So, Father God, thank you so much. God, for all of the things that you've given us, God, thank you for your grace on our lives. God, I just pray for each and every warrior in here that they would test the spine of their arrows that they've been given them, the reward that they've been given them. I pray for the tribe in here, God, that they'd be a part of intentional, that take the time to intentionally jump in and be a part of a warrior's life and helping them to move forward in that. God, I pray that I know there's some some people in here, maybe single parenting, some people in here, maybe a couple, doing the job together. God, I pray that whatever their situation, that they would seek their tribe for help, because as far as I'm concerned, without a tribe, they're both single parenting. God, I pray that they would seek that support, that support group. Thank you, God, for the blessings that you have on our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.